0: This podcast is brought to you by year successcom a free online course on success. Enroll at Year2Success.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the
1: official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin.
0: And I'm Ryan Lebeck.
1: Ryan, as both of us are sitting here freezing on our respective homes, we have someone from somewhere quite warm.
0: Yes, we certainly do. Mira Manick is joining us from California today. She is a dedicated communicator, educator, and motivator with the ability to build consensus and influence change. As an organizational leader and public speaker with experience in speech writing, public speaking coaching, and meeting facilitation, Mira is an expert at training individuals and diverse groups to bring out the best in themselves, by helping to improve messaging, stage presence, and delivery, thereby elevating their performance for speaking engagements. And Mira is featured in the March 2018 issue of the Toastmaster magazine. Mira Manick, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast.
2: Hi, thank you for having me. I was just gonna say it is very warm. I hope some of the heat here in California can melt some of the ice over there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We hope so, too. Mira, to help our listeners get to know you a little bit, can you share with us? I know you have a very eclectic background and have come to California through some different routes. So could you share a little bit of your background with us?
2: Uh, originally from East Africa, Kenya, East Africa. My family is two generations born there and my ethnicity is from India. So it's a very, yes, unique kind of migration of two cultures. Uh, My parents were very much interested in moving to the United States because of the educational and career opportunities that my sister and I could uh, have the opportunity to engage in and advance sort of our lives. And that's how we kind of ended up in Orange County. I mean, I'm always curious where my parents could have picked and I'm glad they picked sort of Orange County, Southern California. And I grew up here most of my life and I currently live in Burbank, California. So that was a unique experience sort of growing up here in Southern California, trying to navigate in the 80s, 90s, what it's like to be an immigrant. And still you find yourself doing that a little bit definitely in terms of learning what it meant to be an american we watched a lot of tv ate a lot of food listened to you know a lot of music things like mtv all of that really helped navigate us in what it meant to be sort of american and then when we were in school we'd be engaged in all sorts of extracurricular activities anything that we could do to add to our experience whether it was after school sports drama, theater, Girl Scouts, and things like that.
1: Awesome. Obviously, a number of these activities led to some form of speaking. The article features you as a public speaker, a speechwriter, and a stand-up comedian, which is quite a variation. Are any of these your main focus of work or a full-time endeavor?
2: Well, actually, all of it is my full-time endeavor. Uh, Growing up, my dad always told me and my sister to kind of diversify and make sure our eggs are in many baskets. Um, and before I became a speechwriter, I was a nonprofit consultant. I you know, worked as an organizer. I was very much into community organizing. And then what I did was I uh, pursued my master's in business at uh, American University in Washington, D.C., and that's where I studied with the vice presidential speechwriters. But before then, I had been a part of Toastmasters, so this idea of public speaking was always in my background but it wasn't until i studied with them that i saw this as a profession and my life really started to take shape then uh, when i thought i was coming to dc to become a lobbyist or work there Uh, but it really shifted when i took this class and saw it as a profession but speech writing is a very unique hustle if you will you have to find clients, It's not doesn't pay the rent always. So I coupled it up with trainings and workshops and tried to make it more than just individualized speech writing. So whenever I'm working with a client or an organization, I manage my projects uh, very much on who I'm working with, my client at the time. And when I'm not doing any of that, I do also practice stand-up comedy and I also work in real estate, and I got into the stand-up comedy because I wanted to be a better speechwriter. And the stand-up comedy has really helped me understand the audience better. It's helped me understand timing. It's helped me understand vulnerability on stage. It's helped me understand stage presence. All of those things just add to being a better speechwriter and coach and mentor to people who are seeking uh, my services and help. So the stand-up is a minimal part of the whole thing. I definitely, you know, get paid gigs and things like that. It's definitely taken many years, been doing it for about six years, and I still very much feel like a beginner. When there's no stand-up and there's no speech writing, I decided to get my real estate license so I can continue to be able to do all the things that I want to do. So in that sense, I do have varied businesses, but I've you know, been able to manage it all because when you want to do something, your mind and body and the universe sets you up to do that.
1: Serial entrepreneur?
2: Yes.
0: <laughs> nice, I'm sure you That's never get it. bored either.
2: <laughs> no, I'm talking to you gentlemen this morning, and so it can't get boring.
0: It, can't. <laughs>
2: it only gets more challenging and exciting, and you really get to see how much you can push yourself and how you accommodate and things and For me, meeting people and clients and having all the worlds cross is also very exciting. For example, I did a stand-up comedy set for my real estate office, and it was a fundraiser, and all my worlds are kind of colliding there because it's new material for them. So I'm I'm writing, but it's stand-up, but it's also for real estate. So it doesn't get boring.
1: Wow. Really repurposing your content.
2: Exactly. All of it provides for more material, if anything.
0: Mary, you mentioned a few moments ago stage presence and delivery, and I'm sure that's something you work with your clients, work on with your clients when you're doing Mm -hmm. public speaking coaching. I'm wondering if there are any common mistakes that you see in those areas, and if so, what tips could you give our listeners on how they can improve both their stage presence and delivery?
2: Great question. Well, each person is very unique in terms of what their challenges are in front of an audience and what they do well. And my job is to really identify the things they do well and really help them leverage those things and then be able to help them see the things that they might be missing and elevate them, take them to the next level, but in their learning style, whatever that might be. So for example, a common thing I see is people feeling like they have to apologize for themselves. In fact, I often see this in a Toastmaster meeting when people come up and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, this is my first time up here. Oh, I'm sorry, I've never done table topics. Oh, I'm sorry, this is my first time evaluating. Well, nobody would really know it was your first time had you said that, and there's no need to apologize. The act of not feeling enough is very much carried by not only members I see, but with clients, that there's some feeling of I'm not good enough to be here. And over the years, I've learned as a coach to really get my client, get the person I'm working with to understand that they are enough and their message is as valuable as the next person's. And trust in the fact that the audience wants to hear that message because we're all human beings and all those emotions we can very much relate to. In that sense, comedy has helped me understand vulnerability for people in speech writing and why people feel like they have to apologize. So it's building, helping people build a confidence where they're standing very much in a superman, superwoman position, taking command rather than shoulders humped over. Uh, the body language speaks of like an apologetic body language. So I would say that's really one common thing I see among stage presence and delivery when I'm coaching.
1: Do you find the opposite is true as well where perhaps someone comes to the front and they're not quite prepared and they use the apology as trying to make to lower the expectations?
2: I've definitely found that as well. With a lack of preparation it's very frustrating because my, as in my own study of speech writing, the speech writers that I worked with, they emphasized preparation so much that if you were going to write a 20 minute speech or a 10 minute speech, you needed to put in a minimum of five to 10 hours of research. And that wasn't even the beginning of the writing of the speech. So when somebody does come up and they apologize for their lack of preparation, it's definitely hurting them as the speaker, but it's a little bit of an insult to the audience because you have a little bit of an expectation that this person's going to come prepared. So what it does is it reduces their credibility as a speaker on stage if they apologize for the lack of preparation. And it breaks a little bit of the connection you have with the audience. You have to bring the audience into your favor. um, And when you say things like that, the audience can be put off that this person had time to prepare and they haven't prepared for me today.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like getting up there and saying you know sorry guys in my world you weren't really that important so you're gonna get what you get today
2: (laughs) yeah and the audience will respond in kind to that one of the things i've experienced uh watching toastmasters especially in the role of educational vice president which i would say that role has very much helped me as a coach and mentor really understand people's challenges what their goals are and how to mentor them when they're not prepared, they're not set up for success. And Toastmasters is a great laboratory for that. You're able to come a little bit uh, rough on the edges and things like that, but be prepared. So when you do take your speech to a next level, if you do it again, it's going to be that much more of a fulfilling experience. Uh, You want to get back up on stage. So if you have an experience where you didn't prepare and it didn't go so well, it can really for somebody new especially can really jar their ability to want to get back up on stage or get back up in front of an
1: audience. That's really good feedback. You're shortchanging the audience and you're you're also shortchanging yourself.
2: Yes, I've seen many members who have not set themselves up for success or not prepared and they just don't come back to a meeting. The want to learn and want to get better has to come intrinsically and you um you can't push them, you can only send so many emails. It is unfortunate to see that, but on the flip side Those who do use the program, those and and the three of us that are talking can very much relate to this. The individuals who use the program and really see how it translates into their work, professional, uh, maybe their even personal relationships. And you see how much growth you have. It's just a hundred percent rewarding experience.
1: Ryan, just like the article says, Mira does work like a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) I just had to fit that in there somewhere (laughs) where did that come about was that your wording or was that
2: it actually I was coaching an executive for a speech he was giving to a room full of 300 lawyers and uh, when he finished he came up to me and said you're the speech doctor Mira you come in and you diagnose and you fix and heal this
1: awesome Despite best preparations, sometimes things can just happen, and in the article that you had mentioned that you had bombed on stage, I don't want to bring up the fact that someone had bombed on stage, but what I was curious about was what happened, what kind of went through your mind, and how did you handle it?
2: Of course, in the moment, I would not have wanted to talk about it, but since I had some distance from the experience, I'm actually happy to talk about it, because as a performer, as somebody who's is on stage, you have to almost go through something like this in order for you to become stronger and more confident as a presenter, speaker, whatever capacity you're in, whether it's like a TEDx, whether it is stand-up, whether you're doing the international speech, it doesn't matter. Even in the club level itself, this experience has made me a stronger performer. But what it was, was it was a cultural show. I was asked to MC. And uh, it was like an Indian cultural show. And even for me, the names are very challenging to pronounce. And some of the musicians had very long names. I mean, I'm talking 11 to 16 letter names. And I was given the list of names or I was asked to MC almost a day before. And I just didn't have enough time to study the names, to work with the musicians, to have them say their names back to me. At the same time, I was at the, I was in the Burbank Comedy Festival, so my time and my ability to even look at the programming was limited. I went into the event confident, obviously, and thinking, oh, you know, I can do this. I have some material they've given me; it'll be fine. Uh, but the second I mispronounced one name, it just snowballed, and it didn't get better. And there was an audience member who wasn't having it, and she started to boo. And other people started to boo. And I think the booing was so jarring. I ex- almost expected the audience to support me a little bit in my challenge, but they didn't. They had paid money for tickets and they wanted what they came to get. And I wasn't living up to that expectation. From that moment on, I have taken 20 times to study people's names. If I'm hosting a comedy show, even if I know the comedian's name, I'll ask again just because you want to be clear you never want to get up on stage and give somebody just their first name you want to make sure you have everything in order honestly i would never wish this experience on somebody else even though i say at the same time you have to go out there and fail a little bit because if you're not in a capacity to handle really what was happening it is it can really jar you from getting back up on stage again but I shared this, you know, with some of my comedian friends, some of the professionals that I work with. And it was almost like they were patting me on the back saying, you've come over to the other side. Now (laughs) you've had that experience. And that's really what it felt like. I just feel that much more confident that I've been there. I've had to experience it. And I know how to completely avoid that and really give the opposite experience to an audience and to myself. Uh, The people who were in the audience came up to me after and uh, were livid with the woman who was booing. And I definitely tried to handle it the best I could in stand-up. That would be a heckler, and I would have to use uh, a tool or technique to really shut that heckler down. But this was a cultural performance, and they didn't want to detract from the main act, the main performance. They didn't want people to leave the event feeling like that's what they remember, this booing incident. I really kind of had to yield and my time and just, I was like, let's get to the main act. I asked the woman who was booing to maybe shut her cell phone down. It seemed like she she was the one who ignored my comment in the beginning about cell phones. The audience laughed a little um, and we moved on. And my family and parents were in the audience and I'd never seen my sister so angry in her life. <laughs> to actually hear from my parents and there was another a very famous woman in the audience she actually has appeared in a Will Smith music video, and she approached me after and said, you know, you did a good job. And I think when you get some support from people who understand what you're trying to do, you move quickly from that experience. Truth be told, I've seen it happen in a meeting too where a Toastmaster had mispronounced members' names. I have seen it turn the members a little bit turn on the Toastmaster that day that this person wasn't prepared. They had plenty of time to learn Members' names. They're not, they're a veteran member, you know, they had their DTM and whatnot. You're as good as your last time on stage. That's what they say in speech writing and stand up. So if you are in a position where you have to learn and present uh, as a host, you really have to take the time to learn all of that. And I also credit Stephen Colbert, somebody who heavily emphasizes that as well. And I came across his sort of lesson about that while I was experiencing that. He practices the names of his guests before uh, they come onto his show, the uh, the show he does on CBS. It made sense to me that yes, it doesn't matter who you are, what level you're at, whether you're a new first-time Toastmaster or you're Stephen Colbert host of The Tonight Show uh, or the, I'm mixing up the shows, The Late Show you still have to learn people's names because people hold so much value in their name and our world is so much more globalized and international. It's a sign of respect and adds to your credibility as the host and the tone that you're setting for this show that I've taken the time to prepare and I'm going to help you make this a great event. And people respond to that energy and they bring that as well. Preparation is the key
1: to success. Yeah, that's uh, that's really good advice. I a couple of comments on the names. I know for myself, sometimes it's psychological and in the moment you've practiced, you've rehearsed, you've got it right, and then it just doesn't come out right. So what I do sometimes is I'll just write it out phonetically. I've also noticed that in some clubs, because people seem to know each other, what they do is some clubs will introduce themselves, they'll go around the room, but they'll only use their first name. We try to encourage people to give your full name when you're introducing yourselves one of course to obviously the importance of the name as you mentioned but also to help with the pronunciation of it some people may not know what the pronunciation is and so if you get up and introduce yourself people now know how your name is actually pronounced
2: yes it's a very good point when somebody's name is mispronounced you also see the person who whose name might be complicated say oh that's okay don't worry and sort of not allow the opportunity to really learn it. Like they've been so used to saying, oh, it's okay, you don't know how to pronounce my name. But in the professionalism of Toastmasters, if the if your club is in the practice of introducing speakers and evaluators in the international format, um, that name, title, title, name, it just starts to really resonate with other members that, oh, I need to live, I need to meet this standard. If I wanna be this professional, I need to really meet the standard that they're asking for. When you get a name right and somebody feels good about it, it goes a long way.
1: If you mispronounce the name, it could be a different person altogether.
2: It very much uh, could. Uh, that's very true. <laughs> um, I mean, I've I've definitely had my name mispronounced on stage. It seems very easy, but, and it's fine if somebody does. My cue at the end of my set or at the end of the speech, I wouldn't necessarily do it at the end of the speech, but at the end of a comedy set, you know, I would say, you've been a great audience. My name's Mira Manic. Thank you for having me. And then it's cleared and nobody has to feel bad.
0: Yeah, that's great. Of course, you could also drop your website (laughs) for people, which I will invite you to do momentarily. Mira, this has been great chatting with you. And I I wish we had more time because you have so many interesting experiences. And I know you could speak about so many different things. Thank you for joining our show and and sharing a little bit of of your life and experience with us and with our, our listeners around the world. Where can people go to connect with you and learn more about what you do?
2: That's a really good question. I should say that I've actually been part of Toastmasters since 2000, I joined when I turned 18. So I'll let people do the math. I belong to Warner Brothers, currently I belong to Warner Brothers Toastmasters in Burbank, California. And we are an 11 time President's Distinguished Club. I'll drop that in. Uh, So if you're ever in the Burbank area, please look us up. We meet Thursdays, 1230. And we're a very energetic, eclectic, international community-based club. It's a little bit employee and a little bit community. And it's just a great learning experience. You, I've grown as a speaker myself, and I'm so happy I found the club. And anywhere I go in the world, I always look for a Toastmaster club. It helps me ground myself to the place that I'm in. And if you're uh, in the area and you're wondering how, you know, you're like, oh, I do want to come to the club meeting – well, you can contact me at my website, www.miramanic.com, M E E R A M A N E K, or manicmonday.com. Manic is spelled like my last name, M A N E K. That's how you can find me.
1: Oh, now I got that song in my head. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs>
2: my whole intention is to have the song in your head.
0: <laughs> and that you do. And for our listeners, if you do check out Mira's site, there's a wonderful speech there where she talks about an international flight uh, from India back to the United States. Very funny. I definitely recommend checking that out.
2: Yes, that was a humor speech contest.
1: Mira Manik, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And we wish you all the best in your endeavors.
2: Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
0: Hi, this is Bo Bennett, host of the Toastmasters podcast. Back in 2004, I wrote the book Year to Success, the most complete and practical book on success ever written. Thanks to today's technology, I've turned the book into an online course. Here's the best part. The course is 100% free. Enroll at yeartosuccess.com and work on one personal development idea each day for the next eight months or so. That address is yeartosuccess.com. See you there.